This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. If you'd like to support Hiking Through Life, you can go to hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. We have t-shirts, water bottles, and we recently added stickers to the shop. Use the code podcast at checkout and receive 10% off your first order. There are other ways you can support this podcast as well. You can check those out at hikingthroughlife.net slash support. Also, be sure to sign up for our email list. You can do that by heading over to hikingthroughlife.net. Enter your email address and click subscribe. There's no commitment. You can unsubscribe at any time. As part of our email list, you'll receive our monthly newsletter. We'll also be sending out any promotional codes for Hiking Through Life gear. It's an excellent way to follow Hiking Through Life's journey. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today we are joined by Chris Cage. He quit his job in accounting in 2012 and embarked on a two-year journey of diverse outdoor experiences from hiking the Appalachian Trail to backpacking Asia to bicycling in New Zealand. He is an entrepreneur who has written a book, How to Hike the AT, and owns Green Belly Meals, which makes healthy, nutrient-dense backpacking meals. We are here today to hear his story. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Hey, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. So tell us a little bit about your background and your starting off at your job in financing and quitting all of that. How did that begin? Yeah, that was, um, yeah, back in 2012. I graduated college in 2010. And so I've been an accountant for about two years. And um, I'm not going to dog on it, really. It wasn't like it was uh, something I'd I, I hate it or anything like that. I mean, I actually really like the people around me. I just didn't see myself doing it long-term. And I was in Birmingham, Alabama. I just didn't really feel like it was where I was meant to be as an accountant in uh, Birmingham. So I kind of started to plan for a big trip. And I, well, I was a Boy Scout. I grew up as a, uh, doing Boy Scouts. And I'd been exposed to the Appalachian Trail in... North Georgia, which, you know, it starts in the North Georgia. So I'd done some hikes when I was a kid in North Georgia on the AT. And it was kind of like a childhood dream, you know, to do the whole thing in, in one go, a big through hike up the Appalachian Trail. And I was sitting there as an accountant. And I thought, I think now is probably the time to do it. When I had the job, I said, you know, I will probably, if I, if I do the AT, I'd also like to do some other fun travel while I'm on this fun employed, you know, big trip. So I knew that I needed to start saving some money if I was going to be 
unemployed for that long, you know, potentially, potentially two years, if not more. So I, maybe for about a year or so before quitting my accounting job, I started saving up money and also used that time to nerd out on logistics, gear, all that kind of stuff. Really get kind of caught up to speed from my Boy Scout backpacking days to seeing what kind of gear is out there now and planning this big trip. But the big trip essentially was to go first to spend about three, three-ish months in Asia and do lots of kind of uh, woofing. Woofing was the thing. I, have you ever heard of woofing? Yeah, where you go and stay on farms. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was uh, the concept was similar to woofing. I actually used a website called Workaway. Okay. Which was a similar, it's a similar work exchange thing. So you go and volunteer. I think the premise is like you volunteer four hours a day and in exchange for room and board and no, no money's exchanged. I heard about work away as kind of a, a more, more options than just farming. I think woofing's limited to farming and work away is, it's really much broader spectrum of, um, work exchange things you can do. So I, I did a lot of work away in Asia. Like I taught English in Thailand and volunteered in an orphanage in Cambodia. It's random stuff. And then I made my way down to New Zealand and uh, right after Asia, yeah, I went down to New Zealand and I had actually shipped a bicycle from Craigslist and uh, shipped the bicycle there. And I had started on the very northern tip of New Zealand and cycled toward my way to the very southern tip over uh, several months and yeah, while I was doing that, I was also doing some work away stuff. I was like volunteered at a, a surf shop and also at a vineyard and just a bed and breakfast, all sorts of like random kind of places to work. And then ultimately made my way back to the States and hiked the Appalachian Trail. So that was a long kind of <laughs> unemployed duration, but it was it was a good time. Yeah, that sounds like an amazing time. Just kind of adventuring kind of all over the place bicycling a bicycle sent from craigslist i mean that's good that it turned out well that it was actually a bicycle because sometimes craigslist can be a little questionable (laughs) well i I guess in (laughs) craigslist defense i did actually bought it on craigslist while i was in the states and then boxed it up and shipped it to New Zealand. So I knew a little oh, bit about it. Oh, so it was like a whole planned thing. You uh, oh, knew you yeah. were going to bicycle. I was like, I'd like really nerded out. I don't mean to like undermine that at all. I'd nerded out big time. Like I had, I think I had my box like ready to go before I even, <laughs> before I even left for Asia. I had my like New Zealand bicycle box up ready to go. That's awesome. And so my understanding is that while you were out on all these adventures, you were eating backpacking meals, but you felt like they weren't really filling you up weren't exactly nutrient dense is that right yeah totally especially in started in New Zealand and then really kind of uh developed more really when I was on the Appalachian Trail because similar lifestyles in New Zealand and the Appalachian Trail in New Zealand I was bicycling all day and camping out at night and generally several days away from resupply points uh, depending on how remote uh, I was in New Zealand and similar thing in the Appalachian Trail, instead of bicycling, I was hiking, but um, I would be hiking all day and, you know, maybe uh, at, at most, maybe like a week away from a resupply or a grocery store. So on, on both of those, I was burning a lot of calories and doing a lot of distance. And uh, also when you're doing that, I mean, as you know, pack weight is really important. So when you're burning a lot of calories and you're traveling long distance, you really need to make sure that the calories you do 
pack are pretty nutrient dense. So totally. And things like ramen noodles and M&Ms and potato <laughs> chips aren't necessarily going to do it. And that's what a lot of through hikers end up eating. Totally. Totally. So yeah, on, on that was trail. I remember, yeah, like all sorts of I, my, my diet on that place trail was looking at the time. It's funny. I really didn't think that much about it. I, and I knew I wasn't eating the healthiest stuff, but it wasn't like it was like, oh, wow, this is so bad. It was more about like, my idea was more like, like, let's get this thing a little more efficient. Um, is, and looking back, I'm like, gosh, I just thought I was eating this such crap. But, um, you know, I'm more like crap isn't processed, like sugary, like honey buns and that kind of stuff just to get the calories. But yeah, so I was eating, you know, lots of anything to get calories and started thinking about uh, a better way to get uh, a fast, high calorie, uh, all natural kind of meal. So yeah, that was that was really the, the genesis. And like, have you always been an entrepreneur at heart? Because you wrote a book about the AT too, and then you went on to create Green Belly. Is is entrepreneur just in your blood? You know, no, it's not. Uh, I don't know. I think my family was in general more business oriented, but no, but I don't know anybody in my family that was had started a business or anything. And I, I certainly hadn't. I think looking back, maybe like I had like little, maybe tiny little entrepreneurial stints when I was a kid, but I mean, they were obviously really minor things, but looking back, I was kind of, yeah, I guess I was doing some things that maybe some of my friends weren't doing, but no, this was definitely my first business. It was more of a, a lack of having other options that made me want to do it because having the accounting background, when I finished up the job, I didn't have that much money. I had a little bit of savings left over from traveling, but uh, I moved in with my parents to save money and I knew that accounting could be a fallback option. I know worst case I could go back to that, but that definitely was not plan A. And at this time it was 2016, right? Uh, so I finished up, I finished up the AT actually at the very end of 2013. So I was 2014. It's like December, a bit late December. I finished evolution trail 2013. So early 2014, I was kind of stirring with what am I going to do at my parents' house? And I started thinking about, uh, maybe starting a business and that, that's kind of where it started going and i say by the end of 2014 i had had a, a a green belly meal prototype uh that i felt decent about and i started to send some samples out so i, I got a first small wave of sales actually in 2014 so that was the that was the beginning of it i never started a business or anything like that and the book was written in 2007 maybe 2016 late 2016 um so i actually started green belly a little bit prior to that but um, yeah, and then since then, I, I've, I don't know, I'm trying to, I've started other random, random small things, but Green Belly has been by far my main, my main focus. Yeah, I mean, that's so cool that you, ha- you have other things going on too. I didn't realize that you're <laughs> quite the entrepreneur, but about Green Belly, my understanding too, is that you like kind of started it in your, in your mom's kitchen and you don't really have any background in food science or anything. Correct. I don't. So how did how did that work? I started off in my mom's kitchen, and the first actual prototype of Green Belly was uh, like a goo. Like it was going to be like uh, I've been drinking a lot of olive oil and peanut butter and like fatty things on the Appalachian Trail, and I thought about making this really high calorie goo. Maybe like it would be like honey, all, you know, some kind of oil and peanut butter. And then as I started making it, like this is disgusting. So I started I started going back to more of a bar concept, but nonetheless, I was really struggling with the food the food development part, and I you know I just realized this is clearly over my head. So I started trying to figure out 
how could I go about developing a product that tasted good, was shelf stable, had the macronutrient levels where I wanted them to be. Things started getting really complicated. And then at the end of the day, right, it has to taste good. Um, so I quickly started finding out like, okay, do I need to contact a chef? Do I need to contact a nutritionist? So who do I need to contact? And I started coming up with food scientists was really where you need to start working. So fortunately I had um, a little bit of savings left over. And that's really where almost all of it went to starting Green Blade was just getting a, a good product. So I started working with a food scientist on getting the, this concept of uh, a complete meal bar that would have a lot of calories. So that's, that was critical early on because that was a definitely an area of expertise I was lacking. And so the idea of it being a bar was the goal at first, because now it looks like you guys have meals and a whole variety of things, but a bar was the very first. Definitely. That was the first product. Absolutely. The, the meals, the two kind of the two bars and a single pouch that are 650 plus calories. That was the initial product and still is definitely our, our main product. And that's supposed to be a meal replacement. Absolutely. Right. So back in high calories, uh, we started off really trying to do one third of your daily nutrition down the macro nutrient label, which we still do, but uh, the, the regulations are constantly evolving. So it's kind of like trying to hit a moving target on what they consider to be your daily values. So we're kind of like pulling back away from the one third of your daily nutrition and just going, you know what, we're just going to give you a ton of nutrition down the label. So, um, but yeah, that was it. Start off with the bars and really try to just pack in a ton of stuff. Cause again, like we we're talking about earlier with a lot of the stuff that most of the through hikers, myself included, were eating were, uh, it was all about calories, but those calories, a lot of times were coming from simple sugars, like the honey bun, you know? So I was thinking about how can we get uh, food that has protein, carb, sodium, fat, fiber, loads up on a lot of that stuff that you need while you're um, hiking. Yeah, absolutely. I know that's one thing that we've struggled with when we're backpacking, like we'll make like peanut butter wraps, but like those kind of burn through us pretty quickly. And then we'll go and have like a dehydrated meal. But even so it's finding yeah. the balance of filling yourself up out there can be really challenging. <laughs> yeah. And if you're gone for a long period of time, you know, if you're doing, if you're burning 5,000 calories a day for like three days, that's not that big of a deal to have that deficit. But if you're doing it for, excuse me, months at a time, that deficit can really add up. Yeah. Yeah. When you're out on the AT for five, six months at a time, how long did you take to hike the AT? I took, uh, I think I started in June, I want to say June 13th and ended December 17th. I should know that. But I think that was my date. I did take two weeks off in the middle of it. I took two weeks off for a family thing, but, um, so yeah, I guess it was six months, maybe a little under actually hiking. Okay. Okay. And did you do like ultralight? Cause I know you have some YouTube videos as well, where you talk about ultralight backpacking and was that like a big focus of yours when you went out to hike? <laughs> yeah, that seems like a pretty subjective line. You know, what's considered ultralight and what's not, but yeah, I was like on the, I wasn't still am kind of on the very lightweight not quite like freakish ultralight. I've never, I've never been in like the freakish ultralight where I, I packed like 14 items, you know, but um, I did a lot of research on my gear, uh, but I still kind of had some luxury items. Like I, I had a Kindle on that Appalachian trail. Oh yeah. That's luxury. <laughs> yeah, right. But that's gotta be nice to read at the end of the day. That's like, yeah, totally. And I think at that, at that point in time too, I was really wanting to read more and the Kindle was good for that. 
And then now, like when I go backpacking, I'm still on the the lighter end of backpacking, not maybe on the heavier end of the ultralight. Like I went backpacking this weekend with my niece and nephew, and I brought like a pillow and a pillowcase, and I was like, "Wow, this is <laughs> not ultralight." But I, I yeah, don't care, that's luxurious. Right? I never bring a pillow. I just like wrap up a spare sweatshirt or something. <laughs> do you sleep okay? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean. Of course, if I had a pillow, I'd sleep a little better. But when I'm out there, I just kind of talk myself into this. This is temporary. We'll be all right. <laughs> Do you wake up feeling really badly though? Like you didn't sleep well? No, no, I don't. I bring an air mattress at least. Yeah. Well, air mattress for sure. But like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm 32 now. Maybe I don't remember being a huge issue when I was like, you know, younger, even in my Boy Scout days, but maybe, I mean, I'm only two years behind you. <laughs> <laughs> There's been something more recently where I'm like, dude, I need a pillow. <laughs> like, like, I'm not like wadding, wadding up my hiking clothes is not hacking it anymore or cutting it anymore. <laughs> right. Well, whatever you can do to like save yourself to keep going later on in the years, you know, totally, totally. So anyway, I, yeah, I'm, not super, super ultralight, but I, I tried, I do my best. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, it is like a f- challenge to figure out what gear to bring. And cause they're always making new gear and people are trying to always get the latest and the greatest stuff. And of course, like back when, when we were kids too, like the gear has changed so much over the years. Totally. And yeah, I, I don't know how many nights I've slept in the woods now, but it's, it's a lot. And I, it's the fact that every time I go, I'm still optimizing and tweaking I, I guess that's maybe kind of fun in it yeah for sure yeah you're constantly dialing things in but yeah no, no pack is the same as the previous trip that's for sure yeah so tell us about this book was writing the book how to hike the Appalachian Trail did you think about writing that book when you were out hiking the trail or was it after the fact mm, good question uh I didn't read anything at my Book-wise, prior to hiking that picture, I think it was mostly blogs. So you just did all internet research because you said you like nerded out on on planning. I did, I did, and that was so. When I hiked to 2013, that would have been my research would have been mainly in 2012. So 2012, I'm trying to think, sound like an old man, but I don't think Instagram was if it was around, it certainly was not prevalent. Um, like YouTube was not a big thing then. I mean, I think it was kind of. I'm there, but I don't think it was definitely certainly didn't have the video inventory it does now. Um, but yeah, so I think blogs are mainly it. And uh, I don't, maybe I don't, I don't remember if there were books around then or not, but um, I think it was later. I started doing a lot of content creation for Greenbelly. That was a big marketing channel for us. It was like writing blog content on how to backpack and pieces of gear and stuff like that. And it just seemed kind of like a natural segue. I'd Never thought of myself as a good writer. I still don't think of myself as a good writer. But I was like organizing pieces of content to try to make sure they flowed as logically as possible. And I could learn I could see that after, you know, writing all of these articles, which ones did well and which ones didn't, I could kind of I, I essentially started to improve on my writing, right? And see like what what people would read and what they wouldn't. And I kind of started thinking like, well, instead of writing all these little fragments of you know, how to hike or certain things. Maybe I could kind of do it a really big blog post and make it a book. So I started thinking about doing that. And then uh, I was kind of nervous. I mean, I wasn't kind of nervous. I was definitely very nervous that uh, the, I don't know, my editing would be 
bad. Nobody'd read it. I have no idea, but I'm so glad I did. It was a really fun thing to do. I cranked it out really fast. I was actually in a coffee shop in Thailand. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to spend the next four weeks writing this entire thing. And I don't want anybody to talk to me. <laughs> so that's really what I did. I just, you know, cranked it out in a coffee shop and um, got that thing published on Amazon. So four weeks, you must have not slept in the entire four weeks. <laughs> I- I've never heard of anybody writing a book in four weeks. I got to say, I've talked to, I have a few friends that are authors and I, I think in, in other authors defense on why they take so long, it's usually because they have to do a lot of research and kind of come up with you know their hypothesis and all this it's much deeper the how did i be able to chose it was a brain dump i was just saying like here's like here's what what i did you know and here's where i went to, to the trailhead here's the gear i used um here's why i went southbound versus northbound it, it didn't take that much research you know the, which i think is it, it can be a hold up for a lot of people but it was a brain dump. And there was, I mean, to be fair, there was some research, but it wasn't as time consuming as I thought it might be. So yeah, I really just locked down and maybe did like 40, 40, maybe 50 hours a week of writing for uh, a month. And so it sounds like it's a lot about like your own experience. So would you put it under like the guy, like a trail guidebook? Is that the genre you would call it? Or is it more of like a memoir about your experience? Trail guide. So I really wanted I did feel like there were a lot of memoirs out there um, and I really didn't know how much unique insight I might have on that, you know, or maybe not unique insight, but at least interesting insight on that. So I thought there seemed to be a void and a real step-by-step guide. So for the person who is just considering through hiking uh, the Appalachian Trail, but doesn't really know where to start, has all these questions. And I was thinking about all the questions I had before hiking the Appalachian Trail, like, uh, you know, is, is there water along the way? Uh, you know, where do you stop for food? And uh, why would you go south versus north? You know, all those kinds of, should you hike alone? Um, should you go with a friend or whatever? All those kinds of questions. That, that's really what I set out to answer is just really a guide for anybody who's even thinking about doing a through hike of the Appalachian Trail and getting them step-by-step on their planning, getting them ready for, to hit the trail. So much, much more of a, of a guide than any kind of a memoir. I did like sprinkle in little personal experiences, but it was, that was it. It was much more focused about um, how to do it. And then here's kind of, you know, my two cents on what I experienced when I did it like that. All right. And I mean, there was a ton of reviews on Amazon, so it seems like it's like super successful. Do you think like green belly has to do with its success? You know, that's a good question. I don't, I really, Cause there's so many books out there about the AT. I know. I thought that that was another kind of, uh, it was a fear I had before, like before writing it. It was, I had seen so many, right. Um, memoirs and stuff along, about the Appalachian trail. And I thought, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, these are a dime a dozen, you know, these kinds of books. So, um, I did think that I had two things going for me. One, a unique angle, which is going to be really the step-by-step guide and not the memoir, personal experience stuff and then the other thing was that I had a newsletter I had Green Billy's newsletter it wasn't big at the time sort of in 2016 but it was definitely like we had we were fairly established you know we had a following and a blog that had some website traffic and newsletter list so the combination of the two of kind of having a unique angle and at least a little bit of a platform to kind of leverage that initial launch uh, I, I felt like you know what the heck why not I, I think that 
maybe uh, there's a lot of kind of um, Kindle marketing that people talk a lot about optimizing for certain keywords and things like that. But my understanding was if you can kind of, you know, run out of the gate fast, then people will acknowledge that this book was actually a decent book and they're going to be more likely to buy it. So it's like, if you can get that first wave and that first, some initial momentum going, then that can help set you on the right path for, you know, future sales, which I think we did a good job or I did a good job getting that initial momentum going. Yeah, for sure. I mean, having your newsletter already established that definitely had to have helped a lot. Yeah. I think on like that first day and another thing, I remember one thing I did is I, uh, I had a I had a really good friend of mine who's an author, uh, not in the backpacking space, but he was talking about uh, you should offer it for free for like the first week, which I did. Uh, I offered it for free, and that was again just getting that. I think they had like ten thousand downloads in the first day, and I was like, that that was a lot. And I remember it was like, whoa, ten thousand people downloaded this. So um, that gave a lot of people the opportunity to have it and get initial reviews rolling in so i think that we got like maybe i don't know 50 reviews in the first like couple days which really helped so there's definitely there's definitely like marketing that can be applied to your your book launch and i think that like like that first wave of marketing really helped propel the the book forward awesome and like is it still or did you ever do any like um tours with the book at all or you just kind of set it for free and that was all uh, no, yeah, I said it. No, I said it for free, but just uh, Amazon won't allow you to just put, put put books for free. I don't even know what. I mean, that was now three years ago that I did that. Maybe four years ago. So I don't know what Amazon's doing now, but they only allow you to offer a book for free for like seven days or something. So, um, yeah, I think it, it just still ranks, and people who are searching for guidebooks and um, maybe word of mouth and uh, still, I don't know, talk about it sometimes on our newsletter. Um, but it still sells, it still sells well for sure. Awesome. Do you ever do like presentations or anything about hiking the AT at like outdoor, um, events? No, I'd, I'd probably be down though. Yeah. It sounds like fun, but no, I haven't. Yeah. There's like tons of outdoor events. What's that big outdoor event? I think it's in Colorado trail days, maybe. Oh, there's trail days in uh, Virginia and then there's outdoor retailer that shifted from, uh, Utah to Colorado. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. I guess that's it. It's like for how many people are planning a through hike, you know, I think it's roughly 2000 Appalachian trail through hikers a year. So, I mean, the people who attempt it is going to be, I don't think I'd be curious like what city could actually draw a crowd, right? Cause there's, it's so spread out where people are coming from, but I bet maybe some of those big cities you could get, you know, a decent turnout. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Guess you would need to nerd out on that research too. <laughs> where are the, where, what city has the most potential AT through hikers? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe know. one of the cities where the AT starts or ends, but then again, maybe <laughs> not because it is people from all over the place. So back to Green Belly, I mean, what would you say is your number one top selling item at this point? Oh, definitely bars. I mean, we really only have our bars for sale right now, the meal to go. So we'd launched a product called mud meal. We're actually working on a version two, which is a powdered meal beverage. Um, so I mean, really the only thing we're selling right now is our, our bars. So that's definitely been our main, our main squeeze, but um, I want our mud meal to, we'll launch that early next year. We're still kind of tweaking some things on, but um, 
yeah, that'll be our, our next product for ne next year. And it's going to be a version two, so it won't be a new one. But um, yeah, I want that thing to do well. I'm excited about it. But our bars are definitely the main one. And where did the name Green Belly come from? <laughs> I was reading a, what are those kinds of books called? It's, I, it's like a, I don't know what they're called. It's, a, it's a, a field guide, though, on animals. And I was reading, I think I was like hiking around my parents house in Georgia and I was looking, I think I might've seen like a snake and I was trying to identify it in a book. And there was a red belly snake that I came across and I'm everything of red belly. And I was around the time I was trying to think of like potential business things. And I was like, Oh, red belly, that sounds cool. But green belly would make more sense for food. But green belly makes more sense for food. Like, because like green is like, means healthy. Is that what? Exactly. Green, okay. means green healthy. I was doing it. wanting to do a natural food product. Green sounded more food friendly. All right. All right. I mean, it sounds appealing. I like that. That makes sense. And from a trail guide, like very, very relatable for through hikers who probably are the number one, number one customers for you. Right. Exactly. Are, are they the number one customer? Uh, hikers, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we're over 80% hikers. Uh, we did a survey about, I guess, a year ago and just asked all of our customers, what's your, what, main outdoor sport activity and I think it was about 80% said hiking so and it seems like uh hunters because I know that you were on the the Joe Rogan podcast I was yeah I think Joe Rogan that was just just was such a cool such a cool guy it's funny when I went on the show I, I didn't know hardly anything about him um I think like the day before I went on the show my buddy was like oh yeah you know that the average uh, listener to his podcast is about a million people I was like oh okay all right. And you had no idea. I had no idea. I was like, okay. Yeah. When we saw that you were on that, we're like, whoa, like he got in with a big, big deal. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Joe is uh, just a really nice, humble guy. And um, he was, he, he was a customer and uh, of Greenbelly. And so it made it, it made it easy to talk to him. And uh, anyway, yeah, going on that show, he obviously has a lot of hunters and yeah, we still, we still have a good uh, chunk of hunters ordering and you know uh, I, I guess there's, there's a lot of overlap between going out on these backcountry hunts that are 10 days and they have to be more weight conscious because they they bring like bows and all sorts of hunting stuff which I, I don't know much about hunting the hunting I did I only hunted when I was a kid uh, with my dad and we'd like go duck hunting and just sit in a blind so I'm I haven't hunted in years and I don't intend to probably ever hunt again in my life but uh yeah, they just seem to kind of naturally gravitate towards some of the backpacking market because they're so weight conscious. And of course, backpackers are. So there's a lot of overlap between products there. Which I'm, I'm, you might have seen like a lot of the sleeping pads and some some pieces of gear in the backpacking space seem to be marketed a lot towards hunters. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it makes sense that that hunters need lightweight stuff. Um, So your blog do you write all of those articles or it kind of looks like you guys have people write for you both well i i, I started doing it all um i mean literally everything cooking the bars um, packaging the bars shipping the bars and then then the marketing of course i said okay how are we going to get people to our website and i didn't even think about it that much as a marketing channel to bring traffic i thought about it as a marketing channel Anybody who's on our newsletter might be interested in reading about this. So that's really where I started. And I started just kind of randomly talking about things that, you know, I knew and from my, you know, backpacking experience and thought maybe 
some of our customers might be interested in. And then it snowballed into a couple of the posts started really getting a lot of traffic. And then I started trying to learn a little bit more about content creation and SEO and um, really building out a content strategy. So for the first, like, I don't know, few years, I was writing everything. And then I was like, wow, this is taking up literally maybe like 60% of my time for the business was just like doing the content. So um, started hiring some writers and then we got a, you know, a marketing manager that helps manage a lot of our content. So we've kind of got a lot of things going on now. We've got maybe a handful of writers that'll write that are backpackers. Um, but I, yeah, I've done a lot of it. <laughs> but over the past few years, you've kind of like hired people on, but would Definitely. you say you're doing like close to a hundred percent of all of the background of green belly? The early stuff I was a hundred percent from concept to I mean it's a whole process getting some of those posts written so from concept to outline to research to writing to media you know whether it's getting images or whatever I was doing all of that and then it just I couldn't scale that so uh, scaling that involved hiring people so I'm still involved in every post somehow or another um, whether it's helping with the outline um, giving insight on some of the stuff they're talking about but in general we try to hire writers that i mean know what they're talking about so we don't have to write use my backpacking knowledge on every single post but in some way or another i i touch on every post that goes out but i'm not writing them got it yeah i mean you guys have there's so much variety of information on here how to read trail (laughs) signs do tooth powders really work (laughs) backpacking with a pee bottle yeah that's yeah, lots of lots of P questions. Female urination devices. There are lots of lots of P questions. Well, what's the deal with the P bottle? I mean, are these is that if you're like by a water source and don't want to pee into the water source? <laughs> no. Uh, it's if it's bad weather, there are a lot of reasons that people use pee bottles. If you're in your tent and it's bad weather and you don't want to get out of your tent to pee you pee in a bottle it's kind of gross oh i suppose so but yeah uh a lot a lot of cases that you would want to use a pee bottle um and it's mainly weather so if it's snowing outside if you're wrapped up um i remember like when i was on the at i think i was finished in december yeah those last maybe month was just snow 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 and when you like get into your tent it was just like the idea of getting out of your tent and un taking everything off to just go to the bathroom was daunting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. I've only done a handful of winter camping, but yeah, getting out of your tent in the middle of the night is the worst thing ever. Yeah. I guess the pee bottles are more male focused for sure, but um, lots of, lots of stuff. We try to try to cover anything and everything we can. Yeah. Pee bottle. I'm going to have to try that next time I <laughs> venture out in the winter. Have you heard of a uh, Kula cloth? Yes, yes. Have you tried it? I haven't tried that. No. Uh, I sure should though. Seems like the hot, the hot thing for um, females on the trail. Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, it's reusable, and then you don't have trash. So totally. I, I was with. Uh, I mentioned I went backpacking with my niece and uh, nephew was speaking for the first time, and they had never been backpacking and. The whole bathroom thing was a huge discussion. They were, my niece is just like, how do you do this? Like, how does this work? I'm like, uh, I think you just kind of go over there. And <laughs> But I was thinking about the cool cloth. It's try, it seems to be trying to solve a lot of that. Yeah, because 
Was there like no latrines when you took them out? Uh, no, there weren't. Yeah. No, okay. Weren't. Yeah, no, definitely no latrines or anything. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes here in Minnesota, when we go out backpacking, like at state parks and stuff, there's like a latrine. Oh, wow. That's nice. Yeah. But that's just at state parks. So they're like established campsites. Ah, uh, yeah. Are there shelters there too? No, there's not shelters. You got to bring your tent. Okay. Or well, hammock. I, I guess maybe established campsites, that would make sense. But no, we went somewhere in, uh, I'm in Austin right now in Texas. And we went to some place that the backcountry camping was just like, uh like dirt dirt areas with the camper you know fire ring okay yeah so was it what's the weather like right now in austin uh it's hot so yeah we've got october um i'm a, I'm definitely a warm weather guy so i'm not complaining um but yeah so it's, it's very warm the one thing about texas though is that uh elevation there is people talk about hill country i'll be curious to explore some more hill country but there doesn't seem to be really any any kind of mountain or anything to hear Big Bend, I think, is seven and a half hours. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Big Bend and maybe uh, uh, January with some friends. But the, the backpacking, uh, I just got to Austin, so um, I don't I don't I can't speak too much about the outdoor scene here. But um, yeah, the backpacking doesn't seem to be like too many options around here. So or or there are, it's just not mountain backpacking. Yeah, more like desert. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I drove to New Mexico last month with some friends and we did some backpacking out there so it's, it's still new mexico was like nine hours from here um, to get there so it's not a place you can just hop into the mountains I, austin's really cool just the the city itself is cool but as far as backpacking in the nearby area i i would not give it an a well maybe you just got to find some locals to show you where the cool spots are right i will say on the locals the locals have been helpful for rock climbing i, I do a decent amount of rock climbing I'm trying to get into it more and the rock climbing there is some stuff like really right in the city that's really cool so the outdoor rock climbing is really cool here oh awesome we just did a podcast with um a guy who's a big rock climber in colorado you'd probably like listening to that one. Oh, nice yeah i'm sure the climbing out there is epic <laughs> yeah yeah so what made you recently relocate to Austin? Where were you before that? I've been pretty nomadic. Um, yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> yeah, so even after starting the business that first year was uh, the most, the longest I'd stayed in one location in a long time. So I was in Georgia at my parents' house getting the business going. And then um, after that, yeah, we got a kitchen production facility set up in Kentucky to help make the product and fulfill all orders and since then I, I don't know how many countries i've been in since then maybe like i don't know 20 just living and uh working online so um i'm fairly location independent now but the production warehouse is still in kentucky still in kentucky um we've changed spaces gotten some different space maybe at least twice still in kentucky and uh still with the same people they've been great but um yeah, I've, so I've, I've spent, of the past like five years-ish, I've spent maybe like 30 or 40% of my time in Thailand, a chunk in Europe, a chunk in South America, a chunk in USA, and a little bit in Canada. Yeah, so anyway, I just got to Austin, and we'll see how, how long I'll be here, but I, I love it so far. I, I know that in general, I want to be spending more time in the States, and I, I think like being abroad has been fantastic. I love traveling, I love seeing new places, but I knew that my my heart is in USA. So, and culturally, I mean, I'm, I'm an American. I, I just see myself being here longer term. So 
I wanted to find a, a city in the States that seemed um, like a good city. And Austin has a lot of cool stuff to offer. And I think I was looking at Denver, Portland, some other cities, um, but Austin, Austin seemed to be, I've got friends and family here. Yeah, that's what I've heard about Austin. It like it does seem like one of the big up and coming cities that lots of people, lots of entrepreneurs seem to be going there lately too. Totally. Yeah, I came several years ago. I, I had I spent a few months here, and there were a lot of entrepreneurs here that I met. And Joe Rogan's here now. Um, a lot of a lot of people are leaving. It seems like there's like a, an exodus from California to move to Austin right now. But um, I don't know. It's a cool spot. Well, yeah, California is so overloaded with people and expensive <laughs> fires, forest fires, and it's expensive. <laughs> right. I don't know anything about their taxes or um, that I just hear that the bureaucracy there can be a little paralyzing. Yeah. So what about like with traveling internationally so much, um, has Green Belly been sold internationally at all? No, really. I, it's just been me internationally. Um I don't know the numbers, but the vast majority of long distance hikers across the globe are in the United States. So like our markets in the United States, I'm not saying there aren't opportunities abroad. Of course, there are opportunities abroad to sell Green Belly, but um, we still don't have a huge chunk of the pie of the backpacking food market in the States. And I think that there's still a lot to focus on in the States. So in general, uh, I have not put focus elsewhere. Um, it's the state in the States and uh, it's just been me wanting to see other places and uh, work from my laptop remotely and then come back to the States when I need to. Sure. Sure. And I mean, yeah, if it's being successful in the States, well, why not just keep it there? <laughs> yeah, logistically, it's, it makes a lot of sense in the States. We've done well in the States. It's, it's just very expensive to ship uh, direct to consumer overseas. Uh, the shipping is really expensive. So unless we maybe had like a wholesale distributor, the States is, I think, where we're going to be for a while. Yeah, yeah. Just keep feeding those AT hikers. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Did you see a rise or fall with COVID this year with your sales? Like, because there was so many people canceling their AT hikes or just hikes in general. Did that affect sales at all? I had a mini freak out in, what was that, March? Just because of the unknown, right? Yeah. Everybody was, I mean, the whole, every, I guess everybody had a mini freak out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or a big freak out, whatever you want to say. But yeah, I mean, obviously the the health implications of you know, what's, what's going to happen. And also just bigger picture, like what's going to be, what's the economy going to do? Like, are people going to have jobs? Is there going to be any purchasing power at all in the country? Like there were so many big implications that that thing did and could still potentially affect. So, um, but yeah, actually that first, when, you know, everything started going bonkers, I think around like mid late March is really when things started going bonkers here. I'd actually just come back from Asia and I'd been in China um, right before that. And um, things were getting crazy over there in January, February. You were in China, like when COVID broke out? I was in China and uh, China and Taiwan in October. Okay. So I don't think it, it hadn't broken out then. It had certainly broken out in Thailand when I was in Thailand and um, January and February, but no matter what, like Asia, I thought it was just going to be kind of an Asia thing, you know, and then I got back to the States in February and it started to really hit a couple weeks after I got back. But yeah, anyway, so when that, when that stuff, when everything started going crazy, um, we had one of our best months ever, like right then, because people, people were stockpiling food, you know, and then they knew that green belly was like going to be a, 
a nutrient dense meal, right? That they could, you know, put away. So right, a shelf stable meal. Right. It was very strange. Like our sales went bonkers. Um, I, I was still worried. I was just like, this is, you know, clearly not good for any anybody. Um, and I, and I was like, if you, you could make the business argument, well, business is good right now. That's good. I was like, well. I don't think it's going to be good for that long because people won't be able to get out of their house. So in general, it's, it's been a very good year though. I think uh, uh, sales went up big time in the spring. Uh, and I think a lot more people have just been getting outside, you know, in general. So I think maybe our customer demographic might've shifted slightly from being these long distance through hikers, to maybe being more of the kind of weekenders that are getting out and, and ordering. But Sales are definitely up from the prior year, which is um, I'm very thankful for. I know that a lot of people are really suffering right now. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's kind of what I was thinking. Like there has been, especially here in Minnesota, like we've seen a huge rise in day hikers going out, weekend hikers going out, people who have never been outdoors, people going out due to COVID. That's great that the sales have gone up with those types of people who aren't necessarily familiar with the outdoor community, but somehow discovered Green Belly. Yeah, for sure, and and it's it's it's, it's really hard to gauge. Uh, and we've grown pretty substantially every year since we've been in business. And I'll say, relative to the, the other years' growth rates, it's lower, but we're still up a good chunk from the prior year. So it's really hard to gauge. Have we taken a hit from our net from our normal trajectory or have we benefit i have no i really have no idea but we're we're up this year so i think in general like that's really about as much as i've thought about it to say we're we're up this year you know company's doing well everybody's got a job like let's just be happy with that yeah for sure for sure well is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to add to our conversation um i don't know how's everything up there in minnesota Y'all able to get, y'all able to get outside, or y'all just so so hunkered down with the baby? Yeah, if you're if you're not a cold person, you probably don't want to come here now because we got our first snowfall yesterday. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we got about like four or five inches. Oh man! Snowplows were out, <laughs> and we took our baby out for for baby's first snowy walk. Oh, that's, did you get some pictures? Yeah, he slept through the whole thing though. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, Boundary Waters, that's Minnesota, yeah? Yeah, it is. Yeah, we do love going up there. We've gone up there every year for the past, like, four or five years. Um, we take friends up there, and we have a canoe. We bought a canoe a few years ago, so we bring that up. And, yeah, it's a beautiful place. That's definitely – I've got a, a group of friends from college. We go do a new backpacking um, destination every year. And Boundary Waters is definitely going to happen, I think, for the next year or two. I'm, I'm stoked. I've never been up there. It looks beautiful, though. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. And it's like, yeah, if you like backpacking, you're very likely to fall in love with the Boundary Waters. I mean, it's different because you're canoeing, but you're still portaging. <laughs> so if you're on a long portage, it's kind of a, it's a mini version of backpacking because some of those portages can be like a mile or two. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they can get real rough. Yeah, it looks beautiful, though. I would love to get up there. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I know there's been a couple really bad storms. There was a guy up there, and the, it was snowing up there a couple like couple weekends ago. And luckily, he was rescued because he had a Garmin with him. But 
it was, Ooh. it got super cold. I think like 14 degrees and just really brutal weather. And there can wow. be some pretty bad, like thunderstorms up there in the, in the summer too. Mm. Yeah. Luckily when we've been up there, we've never been caught in anything too terrible. It's an awesome place. So you're going to, you're going to come next summer to go there. Uh, I don't think we picked, we were actually supposed to go to Alaska this year and that got canceled because of COVID and we pivoted to New Mexico. So I was saying I went the other, uh, last month or two, two months ago now um, but we were talking about going back to alaska next summer and, and or doing um boundary waters but boundary Waters has been on our list for the past several years so i know we'll get up there at some point awesome yeah it's well worth going um we also had a person on the podcast um dave and amy freeman they're a couple that lived in the boundary waters for an entire year like they did Whoa. not exit the boundary waters. They stayed there for a whole year and they wrote a book on it. And they, they're like really big advocates for the Save the Boundary Waters campaign because there's like mining here and like people want to come oh, and do mining. And I saw something it. on that. I don't know if it was on Netflix or I saw, I feel like I saw a documentary on this, but yeah, or, or it showed a, a visual map of um, how much of the protected wilderness has been taken away from mining. Yeah, 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 a lot of it. So yeah, this this couple is like really big advocates for that. And they went to the white house with a canoe, like they biked to the white house with a whole canoe attached to their bikes to advocate for saving the boundary waters. Very cool. Yeah. I'm looking at their site right now. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. It's been really great talking to you, Chris. Yeah. You too, Sarah. Oh, where can people get in touch with you? Greenbelly.co. And if you want to email me, my email is chris at greenbellybar.com. Happy to jam out any hiking questions or whatever you got. Perfect. Hey, if you're curious about Greenbelly, you can go on over to greenbelly.co and use the code HIKINGTHROUGHLIFE to save 10% off site-wide. That's Hiking Through Life, and that's for 10% off Greenbelly products. Go check them out at greenbelly.co. We've loved doing this podcasting journey. We love bringing awesome guests on. We love seeing that people are listening. And we're really, really grateful that this is hopefully inspiring other people to get outdoors. Yeah, and as part of our mission at Hiking Through Life, we really want to help support others in continuing their journey or starting their journey into the outdoors. So as part of that, we have plans for future episodes to address some listener feedback. So if you have questions about backpacking, hiking, adventuring outdoors, let us know. Email hikingthroughlife at gmail.com and submit us your question or topic and we'll possibly address it in a future episode. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.